0: Hi Chris, how are you?
1: Good evening Rod, all is well. Here we are, episode 65 on the 18th of April. Fantastic. And I, re- and I remembered this week to say the intro line.
0: Well through the magic of editing, I'm sure the listeners didn't notice it all went horribly wrong last week and we had to record it much later than we usually would.
1: I think it's good every now and then to give you a challenge on your editing abilities, and you, you nailed it first time out i thought it's perfect thank
0: you very much on that note we have noticed we get the odd audio pop now and then as we're recording so hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll do something to fix that so bear with us while we get to the bottom of our audio gremlins but we will definitely get there with that and quite nice to go into the technical details for once rather than immediately talking about weather
1: yeah the weather so let's move on shall we should we go straight to follow up
0: Let's go straight and follow-up. So first thing with me, I ordered a Keychron Q1 keyboard last week. I talked about that. It's not come yet, so I haven't got any follow-up, unfortunately, much as I'd love to talk about it. It's sitting... It says it's left someplace in China that I will not even make any attempt to pronounce because I would not do it justice, but it's on the way. So hopefully by the time we talk next, I'll have that.
1: Okay. That's a shame it's not come because I was hoping we could discuss it a little bit I keep flirting with getting a new keyboard and I'm I'm holding off, but I have put in the show notes a link to Logitech's website because we were talking about the Logitech MX last week. It's a fantastic keyboard, incredibly heavy, but for me, I really like it. But they actually do do a mechanical version, which I'd forgotten about, but after a little noodling around, they do a Mac version and a regular version. You can get on Amazon, you can buy direct from Logitech it's about 150 quid brand new if you go on Amazon you get it for around 130 give or take and they do the smaller version which I'm a little bit interested in so I I was debating whether I should treat myself to one of these I've resisted at the moment but I just thought it was interesting that Logitech have also branched out into the mechanical keyboard world I thought was quite cool because it's quite nice to see a brand do that because somebody like me would possibly be tempted to go and buy the Logitech One over a regular mechanical one because the build quality would be there. It would do the Bluetooth switching that I like. I quite like my Logitech peripherals got. But anyway, anyway, I just thought I'd include that as a talking point. I haven't got one. I don't know if you've seen it at all.
0: I saw the reviews of it because I think it's relatively recent. It's certainly in the last sort of 18 months or so that they've released it. And I noticed that they'd done a, I think, a sort of 75% keyboard as well as a full-scale one with a numeric pad and all the rest of it. I thought that's interesting. Like you, I quite like my Logitech keyboard, but what I find is I don't use it that much. You know what I mean? I, but if it comes down to the, 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 the Logitech one or the Apple Magic keyboard, I tend to default to the Apple Magic ones. But as I said last week, Hasn't got quite enough travel for me. I think the mechanical Logitech one's probably better. But this is an opportunity, I think. The Logitech one's probably not that cheap. And I think this is an opportunity to try some of the sort of more out there keyboard manufacturers. Because otherwise, you're always buying from the same people. And I think these sort of bespoke shops who are trying to put... Let's face it. Their only job is making these keyboards. So they're probably pretty good at it. Logitech make cameras and keyboards and mice and headsets and, and all the other bits, crayons for iPads and all sorts of things. So I think it's quite nice to give some of these other manufacturers a chance. Uh,
1: I think that's fair. And like you say, if you go into a keyboard-only manufacturer, you'd have thought it's going to be pretty solid. I am tempted. I just want to have a go on one first. I want to try out all the different switches and and see if I actually like it. So maybe I need to find somewhere, like a, a little techie shop where I can go and go and try these things out.
0: I think it might be worth the goal, but I don't think you get that many of them. You kind of need your mates to to give you some sort of feedback. like all bring their keyboards around your house so you can have a play.
1: Yeah, that would be ideal. Could somebody just loan me a mechanical keyboard with? It's quite quiet with not not too much travel, please? Because I'd really like to try one out. Of course, the
0: answer is if the podcast becomes hugely popular, then they'll be sending you review units to try.
1: Now, that would be the ideal. I'd be quite happy with that.
0: Yeah, that's that's our answer. So tell your friends about the podcast. Get out there and get us up the chart somewhere. So uh, Chris can try out a number of keyboards. Yes, please. Moving on, I have said, and th- th- as a consequence, the podcast may be later next week, as long as we get to do it. I'm traveling to America this Sunday. Mm. Previous to that, I've been looking what my options are for travelling. In the UK, I used to be with the 3 network. I've talked about this on the podcast before. The 3 network used to give you free roaming to the United States as well as lots of countries in Europe. So it's not a thing I've ever had to consider as would I have data when I went to the States. Obviously, I'm not with 3 anymore and Smarty charge you an awful lot for roaming. So I've been looking at what potential options are while travelling. And it seems to have come down to two. Both of them are eSIMs, so I'll get the chance to actually try an eSIM when I'm out and about as well. The first option is by T-Mobile, who's a carrier in the States, as well as I'm sure they were actually a European carrier to begin with, if they may still be, actually. T-Mobile are still in the States. If you get an eSIM from them, I think it's $45. You will get an eSIM with a number and not a lot, but probably enough for a week's data, 20 gigs of data. Great. The other option is Rolo who are entirely an eSIM provider they seem to resell you for all sorts of countries all over the world they, they, there's an app in the app store for them you can go and check them out now by by looking in the app store unless your camera's on the top of your screen and you can't actually look at the app store right now and get eSIMs for almost anywhere in the world from what i can see on that so that's quite interesting two options i'm kind of tempted to go for the t-mobile one as i'll get a number and people will be able to ring me as well while i'm in the states rather than just having the data may not be an issue I just told everybody to just Face FaceTime video me or FaceTime audio me so I think I'll decide when I'm sat in the airport in Heathrow
1: it's quite cool isn't it that actually you can just do this whilst you're sat in the airport as you put it I went to one of the Canary Islands recently and when I landed EE texted me to say you'll be charged two pounds fifty a day to use your contract and I thought oh, actually I'm here for a week two pound fifty a day that's all right isn't it that's what fourteen quid give or take and so I was quite happy just to pay pay that small, relatively small amount of money. Just use my phone. But I think I get that where I signed up to a new contract quite recently. Whereas I think if I'd just stayed on my old contract, I wouldn't have got any charges for using my UK contract abroad. I'm um, certainly in in Europe. My wife on O2 didn't have to pay anything extra to use hers. But I guess you could supplement it by going on the Wi-Fi as well. Where you know if you're out there, which normally we try and steer people off of public Wi-Fi, but sometimes when you're traveling, it's uber convenient. T-Mobile always seemed to have a really good thing though, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, but.
0: No, I, 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 this is it. And I was thinking about the Wi-Fi, I think. One of my greatest reliances when I'm traveling is I like to walk everywhere. And Boston's a good for town for walking and I've been before. It's quite handy to have a map when you're wandering around the city you're not 100% familiar with and you want to find the nearest you know, transit station or whatever de- description it is. So stuff like that, I kind of want a data connection
1: completely agree and we're so used to it aren't we i mean i spent the day walking around reading today which is probably the place people least likely want to walk around kind of with you i'm off to london tomorrow i will get from the train station to the office i need to go to by a 40 minute walk because that's just the way i am so i completely agree with you so i think you definitely need something and one thing i've actually changed on my iMessage is when i create a new conversation with people i said to use my email address rather than my phone number now because I'm trying to divorce myself from my phone number so that at some point I can go and get a new one that people don't know and keep it relatively quiet because I get a lot of cold calls from from sales companies. So that might be something worth considering. And you can do obviously FaceTime audio, as you said, and FaceTime video calls that don't need a phone number but use your Apple ID. So your phone numbers are becoming more transient, I think.
0: That's fair. There's also the option, I think, when you start a conversation, you can start it from you know, a a different number or another sort of contact email address you've got within that account. It's harder for people that have been replying to an existing number to get them to flip over. There is a way, but I think it's a bit convoluted, involves moving things around in your contact app. But yeah, that it's a top tip that if you are trying to separate, you know, your work phone number from your home phone number from an old email address to a new email address or whoever it is you're trying to do it, it's, it's a top tip.
1: Yeah, and I've done it since I've moved to my own custom domain. With iCloud, that we spoke about a few shows ago. So, I've got my own custom domain, which is the family's last name. And so, any new conversations I strike up will come from that. And therefore, I'm not really using my phone number anymore, but I can still receive messages on my phone number if that makes sense. So, it's probably one of those things you've got to make an effort to transition everybody over to it, but hopefully we'll reduce over time.
0: I can tell you're mostly a messages user as opposed to a telegram signal or WhatsApp user because they're still very telephone number dependent. And we're going to, we've got a story about them later on in the show. So maybe we'll save some thoughts about that till later. Next story it's, is yours.
1: I was just going to say, that it's super interesting that things like WhatsApp are telephone number independent when they literally have nothing to do with the phone. You know, it's not like it's part of the OS, but there you go. But no, I don't use any of those services. So I'm not very, telephone number reliant uh, next story is my. we spoke a while ago and we've already talked about logitech i finally have got my new doorbell installed so i've got a logitech circle view doorbell which you can't get here in the uk straight from logitech i don't know why it's not like it, it's got a uk plug it doesn't even come with a plug so it seems a bit odd they haven't done it in the uk so i got it off of ebay brand new came a few months ago finally got means to install it and it relies upon you having a doorbell in your house and then you can just reroute the wires from the doorbell of the house into the into the doorbell unit on the wall and then when you push the button obviously it uses all the power and everything from the from the traditional house ringer doorbell in, in essence anyway so i had to get one of those fitted which is a bit odd sticking the doorbell ringer into a house where i don't want a doorbell ringer but it, it provides them the right power for, for the the button unit and the camera but it's super cool because it all works in the home app so a it's powered so i don't need to recharge it like my ring doorbell i don't need to pay a ring subscription i don't need the ring app and it all appears as part of the home app and so all my family get it i'm super chuffed with it it seems to work really really well and if you're on the apple tv watching tv as we do in our house a little preview pops up while you're watching tv of who's at the front door so i think it's quite neat i think This is also Apple at their best, where it works on the Apple TV. It pops up on your iPhone as a notification. It pops up on your Apple Watch. I don't need any extra apps to install or update. I don't need a subscription. And it uses HomeKit secure video to record. So I don't even have to worry about storage and all of that good stuff. But I just want to report back. I think it's pretty cool. I do like Logitech. It was a little faff to get it installed because I did need this ringer box to provide the right power to it. But now it's all done. I shouldn't need anything and hopefully it will last for a long time. But would recommend, and I do like Logitech equipment. But, it is built to a high quality.
0: Yeah, that's, that's all fair. And it's fairly straightforward. I've talked before most of my home security and networking stuff is Ubiquiti, who make that. And I've installed a Ubiquiti G4 doorbell that is basically a network cable shoved through the wall with a couple of bits cut off it. And all it does is provide power. So it uses effectively power over Ethernet. To the doorbells. So I don't actually need the back box. You can, with the installed kit, have the back box side of it. So it will activate a sort of traditional doorbell as well. But I didn't want that. So my G4 thing, Logitech G4, not Logitech G4, my Ubiquiti G4 doorbell, requires my Unify back end, the sort of server and thing that it runs on. But then I run Homebridge, which gives it connectivity to Apple's HomeKit. It's on a Raspberry Pi. It takes no hassle at all to have it up and running, actually. It was three commands in, in a Linux terminal to download it, activate it, set the right setting inside the Unify thing, effectively create a user inside my Unify thing that's a HomeKit user, and it integrates with all my HomeKit stuff as well. So it, yes, it was a bit more of a to set up. It doesn't have that automatic connection into HomeKit, but through my HomeBridge thing, it does exactly the things you're talking about, where... You get the preview on the Apple TV. If somebody presses ding dong, the home, the home pods would ding dong as well when you press the button, as would your watch, as would all the things around the house. All that sort of stuff work, work flawlessly, and you get the little video previews and all the rest of it. Plus, I get the, the footage stored on the, my internal server inside of my Ubiquiti equipment as well. So all that integrates with my other video cameras around the house. So the various other ones I've got here and there are all in one place. So I've got a separate backup for that as well as what goes into HomeKit. And that just works really well for me.
1: That's quite cool. I had forgot to mention that the doorbell chime on the HomePods. It's quite a nice feature. Like to be fair to Apple, this shows when you're fully in the ecosystem how cool it can be. I'm quite pleased with it. I had done a bit of home bridge before where you have like a Raspberry Pi. I did it with my Ring doorbell, but I just didn't find it as reliable with Ring, if I'm honest. And also I kind of wanted to get away from Ring and I wanted one that was wired in so I didn't have to keep charging up because I always forgot. I'm just super impressed with it. I just don't understand why Logitech haven't cracked on and released it everywhere else. Because I also have a Logitech circle view camera on, on my cabin here down the garden. It just points down the garden. I thought it'd be super interesting to see some cool animals at night coming into my garden. Basically get nothing whatsoever. But I'm really impressed with the equipment. And it all uses HomeKit secure video. Or is it iCloud secure video? But it's really, really good.
0: Oh, that's that's quite interesting. My, I have a little bit of machine learning on my doorbell and the cameras or anything, thing. We'll give you a little icon. So if a camera's activated or for whatever, it records constantly, you can look at it, but you'll actually get activation spikes as well. So if somebody walks up to one of the cameras, you'll get a little icon of a person. If a car drives by, it knows the car's activated. If it's a dog, it knows the dog's activated. So so that stuff's quite cool.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of the home app because I, I get the same as you. It comes up with the same, same icons and you can turn on face recognition, but I haven't tried it yet because it's a bit creepy. But I think it's kind of cool and... Part of me wanted to do it because obviously my son, as I've talked about, is going to get an iPhone this year. And it'd be nice when he's at home on his own that he can see who's at the doorbell on his phone and, and get the same interactions. And I haven't got to set up another Ring account. So it's all just part of his the Apple family that we're in. So I think it's quite neat. Would recommend. Come on, Apple. Come on, Apple. Come on, Logitech. Release it in the UK. Fair enough.
0: Steve Jobs' book.
1: Oh, yeah. Just briefly, we talked about the Steve Jobs book. And I've linked back to it for two reasons one you can buy on ebay the physical one because apparently pe- people that work at disney and apple have received some copies of it not i don't think everybody but ebay seems to be flooded with some so there's that and b we talked about having it as the pub or the the various other ver- you know book variants you can get to put in apple books or in your kindle or your kobo but apparently actually if you just read it in a web browser it's quite quite a nice scrolling effect and actually they've done a really nice job with the website i p- would probably prefer to read long form on my kindle but if just wanted to point out the website's pretty good and yeah, if you've got many hundreds of dollars you can buy the physical book if you wanted it it probably is a book worth getting because one day it'll be worth a load more i'm sure
0: maybe well it's quite a nice book from the flick through i had i, I haven't revisited it i said i might have a look at it on the plane and i will try and remember to do that on my ipad but yeah I, it's kind of left me for the moment
1: yeah, I had a quick flick through the photos. They're kind of cool of some of his desks. He's had a very messy desk. That's all I'm gonna take away from it. For somebody that was uber modern and and simplistic, had a very messy desk for somebody you thought wouldn't have a messy desk. Apparently didn't believe in, in deodorant de- so say.
0: Fair enough. He didn't believe in deodorant either, apparently. So uh, Wow. Yeah, that's that's just a thing you don't want to contemplate in California on a hot day.
1: Shall we move on to the news?
0: sounds like we should move on to another Tech Titan. You've got a story about Elon Musk.
1: Yeah, as much as Elon's annoying me, apparently now he's wanted to get in on the AI game as well. So he hasn't cocked up Twitter enough. He's now going to have a crack at AI at the same time. So I don't know if you'd seen this at all.
0: I did see this. So this is Elon Musk has founded a new AI company called x.ai. He's got to call all his companies x something because he's a child, it would seem. And the, I noticed Twitter was taken out from being a publicly held company to being a private held company this week. It was sort of the official kind of death as Twitter as was, and that's branded something X or X company now as well. So he's got a real thing about X, hasn't he?
1: Yeah. I, I don't, it is a cool letter. I think Z's cooler, but I'll go.
0: I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it any cooler than any other letter? Why isn't call it called you?
1: X always sounds cool though, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean motorbikes are always branded by the thing so rr or two cool letters for example cbr 1000 rr that's pretty cool
1: yeah fair one but I think x-men pretty cool
0: yeah y chromosomes i don't know i mean you could, but that could be a whole rat hole we don't come out of for any sort of time but anyway this story is elon doesn't like the ais the chat gpts and things in this world and feels like he wants a a more i think I read something about the day, a more liberated one rather than a more liberal one is what he's after.
1: I don't trust anything that he does, so I don't even really want to talk about it. But I just put it in there because I thought we followed a bit of Elon. The company that Twitter's since been assigned is called X Corp. That's it. He, so there you go.
0: I mean, my, my, my read on this is it's a bit me too. Elon feels he's missed the bus or missed the boat, whatever the correct phrase is for that, and is sort of jumping on this now as well. You're like, all right. You're not, if you're an innovator, that's great. And I suppose with Tesla, we've said before, he didn't invent the company or, or start the company. He saw two dudes who were doing something quite cool and then bought it and then pushed it forward. All credit to him. He had, has done a lot to push forward EVs. Everything he's done subsequently is definitely not good. The, the rockets are really good. Space Lab, Space Lab, oh gosh, my brain's... SpaceX. SpaceX, another X, is really cool. Watching those rockets landing independently on water and back together and with really the reusable components, also really cool. But it feels like a bit of a decline, and this feels very much me too to me.
1: I agree with you. He's obviously going to get on with it and maybe want to deflect some of the noise away from Twitter because he still seems to be cocking that one up royally. And I'm guessing maybe he's written that one off and he's moving on to something else. I don't know.
0: Yeah, could well be. Moving on, you have a Microsoft story.
1: Oh, this was just... I'd forgotten that Microsoft had a product or an app, should I say, called SwiftKey, which is on the iPhone and Android. I've never used it, but it was just interesting to me that they're putting Bing AI smarts into a keyboard that you can have on Android or on or on your iPhone. And it just kind of goes back to Microsoft that we talked about the other week where they're literally putting AI into everything. They are really going for it. I was talking to somebody today about Dynamics and the Copilot feature, which is what the branding ChatGTP is. AI ads, but it's just amazing to me they're literally putting it everywhere so they must really think this is the future Or well, maybe microsoft have been burnt so many times by not being quick enough to react and therefore they're trying to get ahead of the game but it's just interesting they put putting into a keyboard that i would imagine very few people use and i wonder actually what has this done for their download slash adoption rate.
0: well if you think about it that if chat gpt and these current llms go nowhere if 2% of people leave Google and go off and start using Bing instead, that's kind of a win for Microsoft because that's 2% market share they wouldn't have had previously. And if people just default to it and forget to go back, then it's been worth it for whatever, you know, if if 1% is worth a billion dollars, it's probably worth more than that. 1% of a search engine is worth a billion dollars. It's probably 10 billion by now because that's a figure I'm quoting from 10 years ago. You know, moving a couple of percent of people over to look at Bing rather than that, even if ChatGPT goes nowhere, it's probably worth them doing it. And then coupled with that, the story I've just put in the show notes about Samsung considering ditching Google as its default search engine for Bing because of ChatGPT. And apparently Apple is considering it too. That's really got to put the hebees up uh, up Google.
1: Yeah, I quite like that. I quite like it though for Microsoft, the big company who's kind of fallen into the background, has become the big corporate beast. And yet They're actually responding really quickly and actually moving with some agility, which we haven't seen from Microsoft in a long time. So I think it is quite cool. But yeah, surely Samsung talking about putting Bing in as a default search engine. That is super interesting. Do you reckon this is just a mechanism for Apple though to charge Google even more money to stay as the, the primary one. I, I don't know, it would be interesting.
0: It could well be. I mean, that, that figure of 20 billion that Google pay Apple to have as the default search engine on the phones, it, Samsung probably get I don't know, 5 billion, whatever the you know the, the, the similar thing is for them to have the default on, on Samsung phones. So There's definitely got to be something in it for them. But it just shows the power of Samsung and, and Apple it, over Google. I mean, Google is a huge company, almost been untouchable for years and years and years through search, through advertising, through email, and through the other things. They have such good reputation, and Android, obviously. They have such a good perspective. You know, the public l- like Google, don't they? they? For all those of us inside of tech thinking, oh, that's a bit evil, or that's a bit worrying. They, they, they You know, the, it's, it's an interesting move for them to, A, be falling behind on this and, and see what, what happens next.
1: Yeah, they've definitely stayed at the top of their game for an excessively long time, <laughs> Google. You know what with. What late 90s to now, that's a 25 year stint, and they've largely been number one for that entire time. There was a bit of competition to begin with, but really, in the last 15 years, have they really had any actual meaningful competition? Now, I'm a DuckDuckGo user and I've converted to my family onto DuckDuckGo, but they haven't really had any meaningful competition. Everybody just goes to Google, and you know, it's become The term, isn't it? Nobody says search the internet for it. Everybody says, I'll Google it. It's like saying I'll Photoshop it. They've just got that cachet, which is well-deserved because I think we touched on it last week, where Google has been right. You know, you search for something and it gives you the right result, which is where chat GPT is interesting because actually it's not giving you the right answer. Sometimes it's giving you the wrong answer. And so it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out because Google has got quite a lot of kudos in its branding in that it's very good at what it does. And it's earned that and it's kept kept that high ground, I guess, is, is the right word I'm looking for. Whereas the other search engines just have never touched them. So it will be interesting to see if this is materialistically moving the needle from Google, say, over to Microsoft. You know, are we going to look back in five years time and people go, who are Google? You know, nobody uses them anymore. I, I don't know.
0: I mean, I'd argue Google search is getting worse and has got worse over the last few years as well. It, you do eventually get to the right answer, but there's increasing the amount of ads at the top of it. You know, the, the domination of it used to be on the right hand side, you'd get a sponsored ad for something is increasingly what you see at the top of it. And the little ad logo to let you know that it's an ad you're clicking on gets smaller and smaller over time as they push you towards what people are you know, they're corrupting their algorithm for the right answer for what actually is something that might make somebody a bit of money or a click through. So while I agree with you, Google search is probably still viewed as the best. How long it has been the best You using Duck DuckDuckGo is a good example of that. And Bing has increased in, in its market share. And I know DuckDuckGo uses Bing fundamentally underneath the covers for a lot of the search that it does. If you remember way back when, and the sort of bread the search engines we used to had—Ask Jeeves, Savista, Lycos, Google, Yahoo—used to be a thing. Remember Yahoo? You know, I was just about to say. Yeah. Do you
1: remember Yahoo?
0: So I, I, I think a little bit of competition in this market, which ChatGPT is pushing them to, can only be healthy for for all of us, unless we just end up in ten years' time and everybody just goes to Bing. That will be worse.
1: That would that would be worse because you're just moving from A to B rather than having a world where you've got A, B, and C, and they're all maybe not equal, but they've all got different competitive advantages. That has got to be better. You need competition to stay healthy. Very much. Moving on,
0: we had a story last week about GM dropping CarPlay and Android Auto on some of its EVs, actually on all of its EVs. And Ford have come out on the other side and said they're very much sticking with CarPlay and Android Auto. I think this is great
1: fantastic please can we have a bit more of this from some of the vendors please i am nervous about bmw myself because they've announced they're going to do android automobile but i'm hoping they're going to keep carplay integration but we we'll just have to wait and see i wonder what would happen could a car manufacturer ever do a firm upgrade and actually take away something like carplay you know we haven't seen that yet but or could they move it to a subscription maybe i that that is a worry in the back of my mind
0: well, BMW love their subscription. I mean, you already paid a fee to have CarPlay on your BMW, I think. and
1: They used to do that on old, on my previous model, but not on the newer ones.
0: Well, that's rubbish. And then there was a subscription for the heated seats in one part of the world, as I recall, with BMW. And stuff like that's not on, really. And let's face it, Polestar and Volvo both already run Android Automotive, and I think Hyundai and Kia do as well, actually. So there's quite a few companies use Android Automotive as a real-time operating system to which the various components of the car can be given a bit of dashboard space to show themselves. So heating, cooling, dials, maps, all that kind of stuff are based. Have a Android Automotive underpinning, so you've got that real-time thing, which isn't Android, it's just branded similarly. And then you just give a bit of a space within one of the screens to one of the throw that bit of your phone up on the screen here. So we know that Android Automotive can do it. Polestar added it as a software update to one of their cars that wasn't there. They gave a software update and there was. There's nothing to stop them removing it again as part of another software update. But I gotta think that would incense lots of owners.
1: It's got got to surely, especially if you bought the car because it had carplay support on the day you bought it and then they they take it away so it's gonna be interesting to see how it all plays out i do think this is a bid though for car manufacturers to re-own the dashboard as it were i think that's the right terminology but yeah interesting and i'm happy to see ford commit to it i'm hoping like i say we see a few more commit to carplay i can't see why we can't have all three why can't we have carplay android auto and if you want to use android automobile underneath then crack on that's fine but why why do you have to turn one off because we know you don't need to
0: well you don't and that's my point is that Hyundai and Kia and others have done exactly that it's Android, Android automotive you can reuse the in-car systems if you want or you can fling your thing up on the dashboard I don't know what Ford are run, running underneath all maybe they already are running Android automotive or will be in the next generation of their cars but it's quite interesting that the mock-ups Apple have shown of the next generation CarPlay, which which it can throw your Speedo and your Taco and all that kind of stuff up on the screen as well, looks like it's on the Mustang Mackie interface and, and dashboard because their electronics and their infotainment is quite distinctive in the mach because it's got a large sort of landscape iPad with a dial in the middle of it and not many other automakers have that.
1: Uh, okay that makes sense then so yeah maybe this has been a long time coming and apple have gone oi ford quick get that press release out show some people that we're still in the game
0: well ford made quite a few cars last time i checked so it's not a bad uh, brand to have on your side
1: oh no definitely definitely
0: good moving on this was one i thought specifically for you as i was sort of i came across the story on mastodon and this is cheap 5k monitors i use cheap in the Widest scare quotes I possibly can, because it's still even in this. This is a a G27X 5K 60Hz 27-inch in IPS monitor. For the 27-inch 5K with a tilt height adjustable stand, is 849 dollars. That's not a bad price in light of an Apple Studio Display.
1: Uh, this whole thing looks fantastic. It's just a brand I've never heard of. If this said Logitech, I'd probably be a little bit more interested. I mean, you're talking to a person that was debating getting a second steward display. So I'm definitely keen, but nervous is what I'm going to say. I would like to see a YouTube review of it, I think. Because it does look like they've just taken the steward display, the specs of it, and pretty much made it it looks comparable it's got a few more ports on the back so it's got a hdmi port it's got a d display port it's got three i think USB Cs, and then a, an audio jack so it does look quite good but i think i would be very nervous about buying i wonder what the actual quality is like and the warranty and all
0: the other bits and pieces that come with it because like you say i've never heard of quickon Maybe they're a fantastic manufacturer. I wonder if this is sort of that odd grey market that exists around repurposing screens. You know, you get one that's not quite at the quality standard that an Apple would have or a Samsung would have or an LG would have. So it goes to a second manufacturer who just rebadged what was the screen destined for a pseudo display or an iMac 5K or whatever LG or Samsung were going to put in there and, you know, put a bit of a stand on it and you're off to the races. So it's interesting. And this has this has existed for a while, this kind of market.
1: Yeah, that is true, and obviously we've talked recently about Dow and Samsung. Samsung doing a similar size screen with similar specs, probably better prices, but I don't think we've seen them come out yet. Just, it's
0: interesting to have these options, and if they can push, if they are, if they turn out to be these, and I presume there's others, because you quite often get a lot of these rebranded with three or four brands that are eff- effectively selling the same product. Please check on Amazon for almost any review of anything, and you'll find five things purporting to be the same thing. It'd be quite nice to push, if some of them are quality, it's Certainly, I'd consider it because it's less than half the price of a studio display.
1: Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on the refurbished store. I think if I buy a second one, I would like to get it from the refurbished store because you've got a couple hundred quid off, which all adds up.
0: Yeah, it does. Moving on, two stories now about young children and properly young children getting hold of mobile phones. And I just thought this was fascinating, like some of the conversations we've had about our families in tech and your son, you know, how old's your son?
1: He's 11, so he's about to go to secondary school, which we deemed the right time for him to have a phone because he'd be walking home from school and things. And that's, normally when people get it, it transpires out of this whole year group, which is about 30 children. Him and more, only one other don't have their own phone that they take to school every day.
0: Yeah, so we made the same decision here that, we wouldn't get them a phone until they were in the last year and the last months of primary school because we intended them to start walking from secondary school and walking home from primary school and having a little bit more independence at that point. We wanted them to be able to call us if it was a big deal. Therefore, they got a phone and that was all it was for. And they even, however many years ago it is now, seven years ago, eight years ago now, even then they were amongst the last in their classes to be getting mobile phones, which is weird considering you and I are the techie folks, right?
1: We are, but I just worry about kids having some form of social skills because you see it with my kids as soon as you give them a device to play on that's it, they're zoned out my children don't take theirs they've got iPads, they've had iPads for a number of years but they don't leave the house when, when they got them we said, these don't work outside the house you just have to use them at home, that's that and that was possibly the best thing we ever said because it meant that they get their half an hour day on it to play, which is time restricted but it just meant that then we didn't have to take, they weren't asking to take them out for dinner and they weren't asking to have them in the car but it is tricky because you don't want them to be behind their cohort of friends tech white. So it is really hard to get the balance. And maybe we've gone too far one way. But equally, I do want them to have skills so they can talk, entertain themselves, play games, you know, like card games or, or whatever we may do when we go out. So tricky one. But, but reading this article from The Guardian, three and four-year-olds, that's far too young, isn't it? Like, come on.
0: Yeah, so to be clear, the reason we started talking about older kids having them and how careful we were being with eleven-year-olds—that even that feels a bit quick in some cases, given what we've talked about—but apparently, one in five UK children aged three to four, three and four have mobile have a mobile phone, not use a mobile phone, have a mobile phone. That feels far, far, far too young for me. How many three to four-year-olds have any sort of developed social skills beyond? you know, the the very rudimentary play, ask for food, you know, help, help. I'm in trouble, I'm crying, to actually be able to navigate a mobile phone. You know, the, the, of course there's games and you can take it off the menores, but do they really need their own device?
1: I don't think so. I think once you start, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? And I don't know, I, I struggle with it. I worry that I haven't given my kids enough device, but yet, I don't know, I think they've got plenty of years that they're going to, probably have too much of device consumption i do think that's too young um but i do think it is a balance isn't it because you know they're going to have their 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 friends will start getting devices younger and younger i guess Uh, i don't know it's hard to know what the right age is i think it depends on the family and and that and i'm guessing if they've got older siblings they're more likely to get a device earlier in life because their brothers or sisters have got it
0: yeah, and there's some interesting points in the article, on the research is by Ofcom, so, you know, a fairly reputable company when it comes to doing these kinds of research within the UK. Three- and four-year-olds may still be developing the dexterity to hold a pen, dress themselves, or cut their food, but 92% of them watch video streaming platforms such as YouTube, and almost half send voice and video messages. 23% use social media apps, 18% are playing games, 11% have posted their own streaming content as a three year or four year old and then if you read down through the article 38% of them of those that have their phones have their own YouTube profile That's just astounding
1: they're, they're more connected and have posted more social media content than I have in 40 years that's, that's all I'm going to say on that one maybe I, maybe that's why I'm, I'm not so keen on it because I feel, I feel like they're challenging me but I think it's too early I think kids need to still be children for as long as possible
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. So uh, watch the space. and definitely, there's more stories of this coming, but uh, yeah, it's a bit concerning when they're as young as us. I guess this is the world these kids are going to live in. Everybody will be highly connected of social media profiles. And if you've seen Black Mirror, we, we all know where that ends. Yeah,
1: not good, is it? Shall we move on?
0: Let's have a happier story. This was a video I saw on The Verge initially about the Lisa, which is an early Apple computer that actually predates the Macintosh. And it's described as the Lisa, Apple's amazing failure. And I just say, if you've got 15 minutes to sit and watch this video of the reviewer from The Verge going through the Lisa, they get a working one, they fire it up and they sort of go through the interface and how it all came together. And what an amazing computer it was for its time. It's really an amazing precursor to what we have now. The, the device itself was... You know, a ver- I think it was a 9-inch black-and-white screen that's on it, it as an integral floppy disk drive. Had a bit of a hard drive as well. Very unusual back in those days. Integrated keyboard and mouse. You could almost see it as being an iMac before there was an iMac, frankly. But when you consider the age of the device, I really think it's worth a look. But it's a charming little video. It, it's, it, it's, it, Take the time and go and watch it. If you any interest in Apple history or how we got to where we got to with computers, I think this is worth a look.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean... It is kind of, it's kind of lost to the sands of time to most people, like the Lisa, most people haven't heard about it, but it was kind of that precursor to the Mac. So yeah, massively important computer and actually looks very much like a Mac in the in the screen grabbing some of the icons and what have you. But yeah, I think, I haven't seen the video, but I, I definitely think it's worth a watch to understand how we've ended up where we are today.
0: Well, totally. And just for a little bit of history about it, it's called the Lisa because it was named after Steve Jobs' daughter which is where the name Lisa came from. It was turning out to be such a flop that Steve Jobs got pulled off the project. He wasn't allowed to work on it anymore. He got relegated to the Macintosh group because they were trying to build a cheaper variant of the Lisa, much cheaper variant of the Lisa. And history proved that that was the right choice. But... It's where I won't spoil the video if you want to go through it, but sort of the decisions of what to cut out of the Lisa that made it into the Macintosh smaller screen, no hard drive, et cetera, et cetera, all those things were sort of quite influential in its design, but the fundamentals survived and went through and aren't really in many ways, if you watch the video, that different from what you and I are talking to each other on right now.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how we ended up with this menu bar desktop concept quite early on. Obviously things have moved on, but actually you can, you can look at what we're using today Like you say, and look at look at those screen grabs from thirty years ago. And actually there are a lot of similar there's more similarities than there are differences, I would suggest, on the on the fundamentals. Definitely. So worth a watch. Moving on.
0: We've talked before on this show about how TikTok is gradually being banned by governmental agencies around the world. It's been banned by the House of Parliament and the House of Commons here in the UK. Civil servants aren't allowed to have it on the phones. It's similar in the American government at the moment. And this is a step further with a state. Montana in this case, who have passed a bill to block downloads of TikTok from the App Store. How you enforce something like this is completely beyond me. You obviously can't demand people take it off their phones if they've already downloaded it. But Bill SB419 makes it illegal for App Stores to give users the option to download the app and also illegal for the company to operate within the state.
1: Incredible. Yeah, agreed. Incredible. And I often forget that America has state laws unlike us here in the UK where we don't have county laws but super interesting but how do you even enforce this? I mean I've never used TikTok so I'm I'm probably the worst person to comment on this but it's super interesting that a state is looking at banning it at that level. I guess guess there's good ways around it with VPNs then there's if you've already got it what happens there? They're going to stop the streaming of it ultimately you may have installed but the streaming will break and then for all the criticism that people give other countries that block things are we not just all going to end up in this world where we're all going to have localised rules of what's permitted and what's not? This is particularly
0: crazy in America. Montana's not a very big state. You could walk to the state next door, presumably. The second you set a step over the state border, can you download it in the next state?
1: How does that even work? Like, Can cellular providers even geofence like that? Oh, I have no idea.
0: It's and they they say within the bill, the bill's champions have admitted they have no feasible pl- feasible plan for operationalizing the attempt to censor American voices, and that the bill's constitutionality will be decided by the courts. It just feels like I was I don't understand how they're going to you know enforce this law. The second you go into Montana, Montana, hand over your phone. We want to see if you get TikTok on it. Is that a useful use of police time? Uh, it
1: just seems yeah slightly bonkers to me. Madness. I mean, maybe they've posted, somebody's posted something suggesting Montana isn't the place to go on holiday or what have you, and therefore they're like, ban TikTok. You can just see it escalating, can't you?
0: Yeah, it's it's madness. Moving on, a couple of weeks back, we reported that Italy had banned or temporarily banned chat GPC within its borders. Speaking of countries and borders and, and banning technology, this seems like quite a good link there. The rest of the EU is now looking to Italy to see if actually the thing they've chosen is the right model. Did you get a chance to see the story?
1: Uh, I have not. But i was just looking at it now.
0: So, the Italian watchdog is as a consequence of this is asking for a new set of tools to enable users and non-users to have control over their data. Basically they're bringing it all back to chat to GDPR laws effectively. Because what is the legal basis for ChatGPT's data processing algorithm? We know how hot the EU is on on data protection. We know that these these LLMs have been trained on large amounts of user data that exist in the world. The chances are some of it has come from Italy and other EU EU nations, as well as America and other places, obviously. But isn't it interesting that it, this seems to be a law working in the way that it's meant to be, that you know, if you've got a large collaborative organization such as the EU, they should be considering the laws, they should be considering how these things have come to, without it getting in the way of genuine research and all the rest of it. I just thought it was interesting that the rest of the EU now is looking at that
1: yeah i'm not that surprised interesting they're using gdpr to come at it because we have had cases before like with art generation that it can go and take people's pictures that they maybe put up on their own website and use it to generate art but yet they've got no right to do it because the images are copyrighted and things so actually gdpr would be an interesting way of doing this because actually there's a lot of the content that is being surfaced through gtp is it under any copyright and are they actually violating it by then play, playing that back to a user without giving the author any acknowledgement, whether it's an author of a picture or, or text or what have you. So it is interesting if that's one route in that they could go with this.
0: And of course, the other part of it is, is ChatGBT and others are more of a conversation than, than a Google. And we know how Google retains the information on your searches and things how does what you're putting into ChatGPT gpt come back and the transparency of what you're doing with those search engines and how it re- with those queries and how it returns is part of this question as well what are, what are openai and other companies like google with their bar product going to do with that data you're feeding in do you then have the right to have any processing queries you've put into them removed from them in the, in the same way that you would have a google query search so fascinating stuff
1: Yeah, this feels a bit like the Siri Alexa thing we had a few years ago when it was discovered that Siri was recording, say, when you asked it to do something and then they had actual people then reviewing those recordings and had access to it. And obviously you could end up hearing things that Siri shouldn't have been triggered for, you know, say an argument with your partner or a business deal or sensitive information or whatever it may be. And so it does sound a little bit like we're going down that avenue that actually companies like this are holding on to your request information and having data that they shouldn't necessarily keep. And then people are being exposed to it within the organization. Kind of like we talked about Tesla last week, I think it was, about Tesla You know, recordings were being shared around the office. Are we going to end up with the same with chat GTP? Yeah. GPT. Sorry, I'm struggling to say <laughs> GPT. I don't know why I can't explain it. It's one of those things. We know what you mean.
0: Interesting. Moving on, SSDs have gotten an awful lot faster recently, and who knew? Frankly, we know that SSDs have sort of taken the same path as hard drives. Hard drives there were very much bounded by a how fast you could move the data off the hard drive onto your through your processor. So sort of the the the, the lane speed, the PCI lane speed of the, how the drive was connected, and then how fast they'd spin. So slow drives were sort of 5,400 RPM. More typically, they spin at 7,200, and then a super fast drive was 10,000 RPM plus. They tended to be in servers or workstations to get the, fast data, the fastest data throughput. SSDs have taken the same sort of route where they started off with quite slow ones. Now they're up to sort of 20,000. I don't even know the actual units I'm about to, to, to talk about these in, but... As PCI technology has increased and in motherboards and we've gone from one to two to three to four, my motherboard, my gaming PC is four. I think what we've got on our Macs with our silicon on chip stuff is four as well. PCIe five SSDs have now become available and the transport transfer feed speed has gone up a huge amount.
1: This is all good though, isn't it? This is all going to, you know, become the norm one day. And I think we're largely there that, you know, can you remember the days of just... You were looking at your computer tower to see if the hard drive light was flashing to see if anything was happening. This has got to be good because we, we, we've we got much bigger data now than we've ever had and it's going to come to us quicker. Brilliant. Yes. So Give me more of that, please. And it should obviously get cheaper, hopefully, over time.
0: So in the linked article, they're saying that these generation are twice as fast as the very fast ones that we put in our PlayStation 5s, for example, and they've got a speed limit on them for how fast they'll go. So I'm all for this. I think whatever the bottlenecks are in a pc system or a mac system if you can sort of break those bottlenecks down and make everything move a little bit faster then let's face it i think the thing that we've all seen the biggest change of in in, in our lifetimes was when we moved to ssds from hard drives because just the the increase in data even on a computer you'd had before if you swapped out a spin in, some spinning rust for an ssd it felt like a new machine
1: yeah definitely i think we all remember like you say when you got your first SSD, and it's like, oh, wow, you could you in those days you could literally take the hard drive out of your laptop, pop a new one in, and you were off to the races. It oh, are glorious days,
0: yeah. So, I'm all for this. I think this is our last story for, uh, for the news, and this is a return to the UK's proposed new encryption law. So, we talked about this, it must be getting on for two or three months ago. I think that UK Parliament is pushing around a law where they want backdoors and encrypted apps so the security services and others can request data out from apps such as Signal, Telegram, WhatsApp, presumably messages on the Mac store as well. And today, a bunch of those apps have said that, no, we're all standing together against this. So WhatsApp, Signal and others have banded together and written a letter to the UK Parliament saying that they oppose this law. They think it's bad law.
1: Well, surely backdoor into any encryption is a bad law. That's Feels like a no-brainer, doesn't it?
0: Well, not as far as UK government are concerned. Their online safety bill says that this has got to be a requirement for it. But you think of the amount of companies that would drive out of the UK and the amount of secure messaging services, banking and others, presumably, that would be affected by this. It becomes almost untenable to do business in the UK.
1: Wait until, say, a politician uses WhatsApp, somebody hacks in through the back door, gets all their messages and then they realize oh we we made that happen and we could have avoided all of this so ah oh, it just feels bonkers to me but you can see how these decisions probably made through a committee have ended up like this because we've probably all seen it happen in our places of work you know a committee makes a decision talk themselves into it not really understanding the detail very disappointing
0: yeah, and of course it's with the best intentions and we talked about it in depth before. Won't somebody think of the children? And of course everybody would be against, you know, against the fact that these images get passed around to the internet and made in the first place. As I said at the time, I think... Money would be better spent educating people from doing that in the first place rather than trying to crack your way through all these kinds of things and all the sort of privacy problems that will come along by having backdoors and people's secure communications. As you say, ironically, the people that are probably most hurt by this would be MPs and civil servants and people like that. Certainly MPs because they've got all manner of stuff on their phones as we found out from you know the, the various leaked WhatsApp messages that happened when our previous health minister lost them
1: nick hancock and he employed somebody to write his memoirs who had previously leaked some of her previous employers messages because she thought it was the right thing to do so uh, shocking
0: yeah so imagine a backdoor
1: for the ones he didn't want them to see i'd hate to think what i would hate to think what's in anybody's whatsapp by the way that's just that's just part of the reason i don't use the thing
0: yeah, I think it might have made our party gate investigations a lot easier of the police because they just requisitioned every MPs uh, that had potentially been accused of being at one of Boris's parties.
1: Yeah, that would do the job, wouldn't it? Let's have a look at your WhatsApp history. Yep, well, just,
0: no, we don't, we'll don't. we just do it. We're not even going to ask you. We've got our back door. We're going to do it. Oh, and by the way, there's five criminals were here before us.
1: Yeah, by the way, we're not the first people to have read these messages. Yeah. Anyway, I think that'll do us for news media. Media. So I haven't got much to report in media since we last spoke. We've had a shortened time between the episode and the last episode because I was on holiday. And I think we're going to have a longer time between this episode and the next one because you're on holiday. So I hope that can be some chance to catch up. Oh, sorry, you're not on holiday. You're actually at work. My mistake. But I, I was legitimately on holiday. So I've generally not really watched very much at all. Other than in a theme similar to Taskmaster, where I had my children watch it, my children saw me watching a bit of race across the world on bbc that we've been watching here on the iPlayer, and we're on series three where they're racing across canada and they really like the concept of it my two children nine and eleven thought the concept was really cool how they drop these pairs of people off and they've got to race to a checkpoint without flying and they've got to spend a certain amount of money and not use too much of their budget but get there quite quickly but not too quickly that they've spent all their money and they just like the concept. So we've actually gone back and started watching Series 1, where they race from the UK all the way across Europe and Asia. Fan, and it's fantastic. And I'm still enjoying Series 1, even though I know what happens and I know the people. But I just thought it was amazing how they've these youngest children are watching generally an adult-ish programme. There's not too much swearing in it, which is great. It's just great how it's landed with them. The concept of the show is really good. And actually going back and watching Series 1... The concept hasn't really changed in series three. It's very similar, you know, because sometimes you get series one and then it will change massively for series two because they're ironing out the kinks, but the concept has remained the same. So anyway, long story short, I've been watching Journey Across the Race Across the World with my children. And they love it.
0: It's a great show. I'm really glad they're enjoying it. I, I, I agree. I think it's a terrific concept for a show. And the three of them, London to Singapore, Mexico City to Ushuaia in South America, and now from one side of Canada to the other. So far, have all been terrific television. I've enjoyed them all. I'm looking forward to the next episode tomorrow night. i got to say, it's a great show.
1: Yeah, I'm there with you. It's just fantastic. But I'm quite happy now I can watch it with my kids. I, I, I quite I quite like that, because it's nice to watch things as a family.
0: I, I feel honour-bound to point out there is a series of Taskmaster on at the moment as well. There's a current new series of Taskmaster ongoing, and it's terrific.
1: It has popped up in the feed. I just haven't gotten to it. What with Succession, which is awesome, Ted Lasso, awesome, and Race Across the World, awesome. So I'm I'm saving Taskmaster for a rainy day at the moment. If I'm honest,
0: so I'll go with you. I'm still watching Succession. I'm now up to episode six. I've watched episode six of season one. Things are happening. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's taken me a while to sort of fit into the mindset of the thing. I said it before. I'll say it again watching peep show definitely helped it's just peep show on steroids it's really good it's it's and apparently it gets better and better i'm trying not to get spoilers now because i know it's sort of into its fourth and final season in, in the u.s so yeah trying not to get spoiled for it and I'm, I'm enjoying it so well done on the recommendation and well done me for sticking with it because it wasn't easy
1: fair play for sticking with i didn't think you would but i generally enjoy it i love it. I quite like the humour and that is a show I definitely can't watch with my children yeah. but I super enjoy it and that's one with headphones on if I watch it at night so they can't hear it.
0: Fair enough. It's, it's quite relaxing having older children who don't actually mind watching that kind of stuff. In fact, I am watching The Last of Us with my youngest daughter. I think I touched on that before and that is a really well done television show as well. I mean, well done HBO. They they really knock it out of the park when it comes to these things.
1: I actually do need to watch that. That's, that's on the long list and I'm not I've not gotten to it. So maybe maybe I need to fire that one up next. Maybe after Succession's finished.
0: I also said I'd report back on some of the Star Star Wars stuff that was announced last week. I'll go in a little more detail. There isn't that much detail to go into because it's literally just been announced most of it. But if you are interested and you're a Star Wars fan, they they had a sort of Star Wars day. It's not May the 4th, because May the 4th be with you, and I'm sure they'll announce more things when that one comes along. But this is a Star Wars event where they say what's up and coming, as Disney are, are loath to do, are, are prone to do with the Marvel stuff as well. So they have announced that there will be three new films. One will be set in the High Republic era, so this is before the formation of the Republic We've ne- we've never really seen the Repu- that sort of Republic at its best. We saw the dying days of it in the first three films, so the Clone Wars movies and all that were sort of the death of the Republic and the formation of the Empire. This is set a thousand years or so before that, when Jedi were just sort of coming together to be the sort of enforcers of the of the of the First Republic, which is called the High Republic. So we won't recognise any characters from that. It's going to be a long way back. There'll be one set in the current timeline of most of the TV shows, ignoring Andor. So in The Mandalorian timeline at the moment, we're on our fourth season of that, third season of that. It will be set just after the events of The Mandalorian, bringing some characters that were in the books and some of the the comics, uh, the cartoons to life. So that's quite exciting. That should be quite an interesting film, sort of continuing with that. And then one set after The Rise of Skywalker, featuring Daisy Ridley as Rey, sort of 15 years after that. So we're getting one sort of proper feature film plucked from a timeline we've never seen before and two that we're a bit more familiar with with characters that we know but i think that's quite interesting it's good that they're going to keep pushing forward what they started with a sort of sequel trilogy as it's become known as and it's also good to have some star wars films because let's face it star wars started as a cinematic thing not a televisual thing and it's quite exciting to have films upcoming
1: completely agree with you no i think it's quite exciting and now my son's quite into star wars he's nine so it'd be good to to watch some of this with him as it comes out I think and to enjoy it first time with him I'd love to take him to the cinema to watch the Star Wars film because he, he was just a bit too young with the the last trilogy that came out whereas now he's seen all the films he's a bit more up to speed with the whole world loves the Star Wars Lego so no I think it's good my slight like, concern is are they doing too much but I don't know I do like the whole Star Wars universe for me it's a good bit of, it's a great cracking era and there's so much they can do with it. And if they do it right, it can be very enjoyable.
0: Yeah. To finish off with some television then, if you've been enjoying The Mandalorian, you might have seen a character in there. I don't know if you've got that far with your kids yet. In the halfway through, no, I tell a lie, she is in the first season, the Ahsoka character, sort of Jedi appears with two white lightsabers. Hey, you haven't got that far yet.
1: We're, we're very early on in it and we've we've seem to have paused recently on it. I don't, I, we need to circle back to it. Okay,
0: there's a character will appear called Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano, she was, if you've really deepened your lore, Anakin's Padawan. So she was a, a Jedi learner under Anakin before he became Darth Vader, which is touched on in the films very glancingly, but is heavily featured in the Clone Wars cartoons, who sort of became disillusioned, went off and did her own thing. And is still out there in the universe. So she's getting her own series. That's quite interesting. There's lots of sort of tie-ins with the Mandalorians and other sort of deeper lore of the Star Wars universe. So that's a show that's upcoming, presumably in the gap between the Mandalorian and whatever comes next. There'll be a second season of Andor they've announced. I still think Andor is the best bit of Star Wars television we've had up to this point. May just be one of the best bits of television, frankly. We're getting a kids' spin-off show called Skeleton Crew. Jude Law will be sort of the main protagonist of that. So that's sort of a Goonies in space in the Star Wars universe kind of thing. I think that's quite good to have a younger kid's sort of entry to the Star Wars universe.
1: Oh, Definitely. They're, I would be well up for that. The earlier the kids could get into it, the better. And that's obviously now with all three and four-year-olds having their own devices, they're going to need some Star Wars content to watch.
0: Yeah, and then there's a few more cartoons, for want of a better word as well, there's certainly some animation coming. The Bad Batch, which is a cartoon I thoroughly enjoyed, is getting a third season, third and last season. It tells the story of a bunch of clones that were sort of not quite right clones, special clones, didn't come out properly, and after the whole Order 66 thing, if you're in your Star Wars, they didn't have the chips in their heads to make them carry Order 66, so it sort of tells the story of going from clones to there being stormtroopers, which is, if you're interested in the universe, is vaguely interesting, I guess. And then Jedi Visions, which The last one of them and Jedi Legends told the story of Count Dooku, how he sort of gradually became evil and became a Sith Lord and all the rest of it. So they're sort of really pushing forward on a number of fronts across Star Wars entertainment.
1: That is good. And I'm not surprised because Disney have got form of this, haven't they? They have taken a property and milking it for all it's worth. And obviously their CEO's just come back, hasn't he? Bob Igo, I think it is. And he's going to want to want to demonstrate that he's all over it. So it's not a surprise. I just, my only slight concern, are they going to do too much? But hopefully not.
0: Yep. And that's all I got for media.
1: Do you know what? I hope they release some of these at the cinema because I would love to go to the cinema and watch a film because I haven't been for so long.
0: Well, like I said at the top, we've got three new films coming.
1: But will they go to the cinema? That's the question. You reckon? Okay.
0: Definitely. That's There There will be cinematic releases of the three films.
1: Have you seen the Mario film? No. Are you going to see the Mario film?
0: My youngest daughter went to see the Mario film, and I will answer it by saying, no, I'm not going to see the Mario film.
1: It, Is that after her glowing review, by the sounds of it? She absolutely didn't love it. Okay. Because my, my children are on about it, and I was like, oh, I quite fancy cinema. But I I think it's going to be one or two, two things. I'm either going to love it or hate it, and I'm worried I'm going to hate it. She is
0: perfect target audience for Mario Films. She had, you know, the Switch. Yeah, we had Game Boys. We had all sorts of Nintendo consoles and things like that kicking around. Did not like.
1: That's not helped. Maybe I'll wait till it comes out then.
0: I'd, get, I'd give it...
1: home streaming.
0: I'd give it a month or two.
1: Move on to games. Games, why not? I've played literally zero games other than threes, obviously, but we try not to talk about that. My threes addiction. Have you played anything?
0: I haven't played anything. I saw one thing I thought was interesting that I've just crossed out in the show notes because it's not even enough to talk about because it's just, it looks vaguely XCOM to me and I'm always interested in anything XCOM. But I'm not going to, What is so pre-production I won't even talk about it yet. The only story between us that we've managed to find of any interest is that Sega, Sonic the Hedgehog's makers, are in talks to buy Rovio, who are the creators of Angry Birds.
1: Yeah, and I think actually this has moved on since since I popped this in now. I think they've actually made an offer now, and it's going through the motions. So, uh, incredible that Sega's obviously trying to stay stay relevant and get some more IP, but I'm not that surprised, I guess, because that's what they've got to do, is, is buy something. But it's interesting, it's Angry Birds, which feels like it's had its heyday.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sega are an interesting company. If you think back in the day, they were very sort of competitive with Nintendo. We had the Master System and Sega CD and a whole bunch of consoles, but they were most famous for their arcade machines as much as anything else. Sega were huge in the arcade. Space Harrier, all those amazing sort of moving arcade games that came out of the Sega franchise. Sega Saturn on, on home consoles, the Dreamcast. They had some great IP with Sonic the Hedgehog and others. And then, They just sort of died a death. Nintendo beat them. PC gaming killed them. Nobody was going to the arcades anymore. They pulled out hardware. They stopped making consoles. They then just became a software provider. And they've been reasonably successful at just putting out software since. So then they've looked around and they've decided that Rovio, the maker of Angry Birds, are worth somewhere over $700 million to buy, as you say, a franchise that's really not that popular anymore.
1: Well, let me read you this stat, last year rovio which has about 550 employees across its eight game studios around the world says it's across its stable games had reached five billion in totality so they've had five billion downloads what are 550 people doing it's mind-blowing to me that they employ so many people they've got eight game studios i don't understand what they're doing sorry but no it is a sad day for sega isn't it generally i think my first console was a sega master system love that thing got me into gaming played it to death i'm sure probably as much as my son is playing on the playstation 5 as we speak but yeah it's a bit weird i find this a bit bit of an odd one rovio you haven't really heard much from in the last five years sega obviously largely just you know milking its own ip just seems very strange they're doing this and they're paying 625 million pounds for rovio which where do they get that kind of money from?
0: If it was an IP that was worth something, I mean, we've talked about Modern Warfare and Call of Duty and Microsoft Activision quite a lot. That's an IP that's worth something. Gamers are actively playing it, downloading it. It's it's a it's a franchise they want to get to. If this had been ten years ago, I'd have understood this a bit more than I do now. Because Angry Birds was a phenomenon in its day, and they've made a couple of movies since, and I think they've done all right actually. Amazingly, certainly. Better. I think the
1: first one did all right.
0: Well, better than the Emoji movie, I'm willing to bet. It's got to have been, surely. So interesting from that point of view, but it's 10-year-old IP. I, nobody, it's it's far less relevant even than Sonic the Hedgehog at this point.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how it's still worth that much, but may, maybe they've got plans for it. Maybe Rovio have got something in the works that Sega have seen before they've made the offer. Who knows?
0: Seems unlikely, but you never know. I just, I, I, I feel like this is another nail in the coffin for Sega.
1: They should have bought EA, surely, instead of
0: this. Would have been more sense.
1: Definitely. Right, should we move on to the main show?
0: Let's move on to the main show. Tell us about WWDC.
1: So we thought this week, the main show, there are quite a few rumours about WWDC. So we thought we'd talk about it. Not what we want from WWDC. We'd maybe do that a bit nearer the time, but just what, what we've heard. So what is WWDC? So it's the Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple. It usually takes place around June time every year. And it's where Apple will announce what they're going to release in their new software operating systems in the, usually in the autumn that come out. So generally iOS comes out in the autumn, as does iPadOS, as does MacOS, watchOS, TVOS, sometimes HomePod OS, sometimes whatever runs on my studio display. Um, and they usually signpost the major new features coming, what devices it will support. And then the developer betas are then available f- from June throughout July, August, September up until release date, developers get the betas, they can update their the apps to run with it. And then when the final version launches, people's apps can be submitted and released. Now, last year this brought us things like widgets on the home screen, for example, and you know, all the focus profiles where you can change your wallpaper, for example, on, on iOS. And there'll be hopefully some similar features coming this year that are quite big. But what Apple do is usually on a Monday, they play a, a keynote, they call it. It's usually pre-recorded now in the post-COVID world. They play a keynote. You can stream it live anywhere around the world. It's usually one to two hours long. And like I said, it's largely focused on software. There may be some hardware coming. And then in the afternoon, they then do a very technical version of the keynote, all about the technical direction that they're going in and major technical advantage, whether it's around security or maybe programming languages or whatever new advancements they've got. And it's quite a feat because every year, probably for about the last 10 years, Apple have released a new version of their operating systems every year. So Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, TV OS, watch OS. And they're really big systems in their own, but every year they carry on updating them all. And we just thought we'd cover some of the rumors as to what's what we've what, what's been said about that's coming out of this event. Have I summarized that?
0: I, I think that's an ex- excellent summary and we should probably take this, this point to say chris and i always go no no we shouldn't install the betas that are being released we'll wait and we'll see and apple release the hotness on the stage that day and generally by the end of the day we've got them installed on a decent proportion of our devices is that fair, fair to say
1: i think it's fair to say because i always want to go and have a play with it so last year for me the big one was oh look my ipad will now support my monitor i'm going to install it and try it and i did and it was flaky but i made it work you know i'll 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 get by with it. I've installed it on my Mac before, which for me is less of a deal breaker because I don't use it for my work. But on my iPad, that is my one work device. But I usually install it because I want to have a play with it. I love to see what they've changed and just have a poke around and see what new stuff we're going to get. I would recommend that nobody does this because yeah. there are crashes and bugs and issues.
0: It's madness to install it on your production device. And I would never, ever have done that only once or twice, but you absolutely shouldn't do it because there will be apps that you depend on that will not work and you will blame Apple for doing it. And it's not Apple's fault because it's a beta OS. So don't install betas unless you've got a spare device or you're very, very clear the world of hurt you're about to get into. Or the real reason this is for you're a developer and you want to write software and test it against the next version of macOS. So just to reinforce what Chris says, WWDC is typically about software more than hardware. This year might be a little bit different though because of all the rumors we're hearing for the first product we're going to talk about and have talked about before and that's this new Apple reality headset because if they do release this, most of the software they talk about, certainly development-wise, will be focused on how you build things, what you build it with, what it looks like, what it's capable of as far as Apple are concerned for a developer to get one of these bits of hardware in their hand and then build something that runs on it. you agree with that?
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that's right. It's interesting, actually, we've heard very little rumours in recent weeks about this Apple headset. So I wonder whether it is going to actually be announced or released. And typically what Apple have done, they did this with the iPhone, they did this with the watch, possibly the iPad, is they announce it six months before it actually comes out because they've got to get various filings and and pieces in place and it would leak that way. So it'll be interesting to see if they do announce the headset at all this year and and what form that's going to take because at the moment it's looking like there's quite a lot coming at wwdc so all the software that we've talked about getting updates then there's talk about some hardware possibly like with, with just regular laptops coming maybe some desktops and then there's this headset as well which is obviously the big one because nobody knows anything about it and apple will have to do what they normally do where they tell the story of why this product category now exists and why apple are doing it and how it's all going to work and what you can be able to do with it. So it's it's always interesting to see how they tell things. It's sometimes better when things don't leak. So you can see Apple explain, you know, give birth to it to the world, if that makes sense. And it's always nice to have a surprise, I think, something that we didn't know that was coming, which often happens. They're relatively good at keeping things quiet. But I'm guessing though the bigger they get, the more people that are involved. It still amazes me that sometimes they still manage to launch an iPhone and we don't know what's coming, even though there must be thousands of people involved in the whole chain from you know hardware design through production through software through marketing through sales that will have these devices before they get released or will be aware of what's in them and yet it still doesn't leak and what are we now we're we're looking about what six weeks from wwdc so usually wwdc is in june i think this week it's around the 6th of june that's when it kicks off and yet We don't actually know exactly what's coming whereas normally you'd have leaks and some things starting to get locked in a little bit by now and equally at the same time you may get apple releasing some updates to either software or hardware beforehand to clear the decks a little bit because they've got too much in the event and therefore some things will get pushed out if it's like a minor laptop update it might happen before or after wwdc because it's not worth the screen time at the event if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, this is very distinct from the September events for the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple Watch generally because they're products on the roadmap that they're going to put out there. Hardware that you see at WWDC tends to be for a purpose. So for example, the Mac mini the software development kit that they let developers have 2 years ago to to demonstrate Apple silicon was announced at WWDC because developers needed to get Apple Silicon devices to write software to get that out for when the Apple Silicon Macs arrived. So that was a very straightforward thing, as was the Intel development kit. Back in the day, you could buy a Mac Pro with Intel guts inside of it, so you could start to transition your software over. Or... Rarely you'll get a MacBook Pro or something like that, or a Mac Pro is the only sort of outside chance of something as well, where there is a definite focus on developers who will either need the software to run it to write the software, or it will benefit them in their day jobs that they'll have faster compile times or something a pro machine will give them. So rarely you get you know new hardware that's a speed bump laptop or something like that. You tend to get something focused towards a pro, or in this case, if they do announce this reality headset it's to get it into developers' hands to build something for that. So it makes sense, A, to get it in developers' hands for them to see it, and B, to do that pre-announcement thing, that if this rumored device is $3,000, which is the rumored price for the thing, that's going to be a hard sell for for consumers. But if you get in developers and they start to build really cool stuff for it, and the next version of this reality headset is... $2,000 $2,000 or $1,500, or pushing it more towards consumer levels of these things, then you start to tell a compelling story. But at some point, there's so much smoke around this reality headset, it's going to have to come out or get binned.
1: Yeah, it's going to be one of two things, isn't it? And obviously, they need to get it into developers to get, like you say, to get the software written so that there's then a compelling reason for your average person on the street to want one. You know, it's kind of like when the Apple Watch came out, they needed developers to write apps for it to, to sell that story because people expect to have an app store on on every device, on every platform that Apple do. It was the same when they did the first Apple TV with it, with an app store on it. It got announced at WWDC, I believe, and, and that's where it started to to get developers on board with, you know, bring your media apps, bring your games, you know, start porting things. So that on launch day, there is a plethora of content for the consumers who who won't know that developers have got to do loads of work to make it happen, if that makes sense. So that's why they they pre-announce. So we haven't got much about the reality headset in at the moment, but what they are talking about is Apple having a reality headset. So you wear some goggles, you have a battery pack, and you'll be able to do some form of augmented reality, but nobody knows what that looks like yet. I would imagine it would lean heavily on Lots of work they've already got out in the wild where you've got maps where you can look around, where you've got AR kit on your iPhone, you've got the LiDAR sensors and things. I think Apple have been testing a lot of this software ahead of the launch of the actual hardware and embedded OS because they can actually put a lot of things in the iPhone, the iPad, the watch, and actually get feedback on it before it's actually then out there in the wild, if that makes sense. So I wonder if this is a device actually a lot of the software has been tested ahead of time if that makes sense
0: yeah it makes sense i we've talked about this potential headset for a while and we'll have to wait and see no doubt they'll announce something and i'll want one at the moment i'm really struggling you know we've talked about ar vr before now and how what a hard sell it is and if they go on and they demonstrate some of those games that they've done in the past with oh look there's some sort of game running in augmented reality that you can see with your ipad they never really went anywhere. They didn't make much of a dent in the planet. For all the IKEA, you can look at your sofa in the room apps. How many people use them beyond sort of gimmickry? So there's not been a lot of real stickiness. So I hope, I genuinely hope that they've got something in the reality OS that's running on this reality headset that it makes a really compelling story. Because if it's genuinely just Tim talking to a on another side on the other side of San Francisco somewhere that's not much of a sell for me. So I I hope there's some really interesting and cool software stories to be told that can be implemented on this that is the kind of thing you'd want to see at a WWDC.
1: Yeah, I'm super curious to see what they're going to do because like with the Apple Watch, it was all around communicating with people. That was the main hard sell about you can send your heartbeat to your, your family or your partner and you could send smiley faces and all that and super quick to communicate but actually most of us really now use our watches for health and notifications but apple didn't get that right first time around so it'll be super interesting to see actually what what the headset looks like what the software looks like straight out the gates and also what developers do with it i think it's going to be quite cool like you though i've not seen a reason for getting any form of vr i've stayed away from the playstation one which is hooked up to g grand turismo gt which I would love to have a go on, but I'm not sure it'd be that sticky for me to actually play on a lot. So that's why I've steered clear of it. I'm also concerned about motion sickness. I do wonder, though, whether Apple are going to go down the games route or are they actually going to steer towards the corporate space or something else that we haven't thought of yet. But there is a lot of talk about 3D meetings and making that a lot more immersive. I can't imagine how horrible it would be to be on all my meetings in complete immersion, though. I just worry that that's going to be horrible. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes.
0: Well, I will say one thing for the cheaper AR headsets is the virtual desktops where you have got like a 100-inch desktop built into your reality headset. And those exist in the world now. You can plug them into your Mac, you can plug them into your Windows device, and you sit with a 100-inch screen that you can divide up with 8 or 10 of whatever size monitors that you want. And having that with you on a plane or in an office or even in your own office from time to time, and you're able to do that kind of large-scale work where you can bring things closer to you or zoom in in particular parts of the screen, that's pretty cool, but that's been done. What I want from this is a bit of innovation. So I think we've said all we need to say about that, about the headset that, that, and, and the software that we think most of WWDC will be about to support that. There is the rumor of a couple of new laptops. I'm a bit unsure about these. They don't seem very pro-labeled. That that I'll let you t- talk us through the potential lineup of them, but I'm slightly unsure if this is the right timing for these.
1: Um, Yeah, I think there's talk of some MacBooks coming. So there's been talk for a long time of a 15-inch MacBook Air. I think it's going to, again, it feels like there's a lot of smoke. I wonder if this is something that would drop before WWDC just to clear the decks because it's not a a pro-focused machine. But then equally, they released them last year at WWDC, so who knows? But I would imagine, though, if they've got reality headset to talk about and all the various operating system upgrades that this is something that would be on the cutting room floor and get pushed out so there is talk though of yeah new map care in essence the same Sort of industrial design of the current 13 inch one but there would be a 13 inch and a 15 inch one and the 15 inch one would have the same screen resolution or you know as the 14.1 inch macbook pro that, that i've bought which makes sense for, for it to be like that there is unsure whether it's going to be a speed bump or whether it's going to have any anything different than the the internals of the existing one but equally there are some rumors saying well actually it might be slightly different chips or slightly updated existing macbook air so it's hard to know the rumours are quite sketchy, but it'll be interesting to see what they bring out. But surely bringing out a bigger MacBook Air is a no-brainer because at the moment, if you want a bigger screen, you've either got to buy a MacBook Pro 14-inch or 16-inch, which is very expensive for a lot of people if you just want a bigger screen and the performance is not an issue.
0: No, I think it's a good thing. I think they should expand the MacBook Air lineup. It's a dedicated brand. People know what it is. I, I got to say, though, if they show it as part of the the keynote, there's not going to be a lot to talk about Reality OS. Or, or this headset they, they don't feel they've got enough to sell in the in the headset if they've got only laptops at the same time because that should be a big enough announcement when they do the truly big announcements they dominate a keynote and if they're squeezing in bumps to the macbook lineup and then that's not great because the other story i notice you've got in the show notes here is that there might be an updated update 13 inch macbook pro and that's a product that i don't understand why is in the lineup anyway
1: and definitely shouldn't be talked about at wwdc where it's completely the wrong audience it's you know a, a design from five years ago and it just needs to be you know removed at this point because they've got more than enough laptops to cover it so it's odd that that one's still around and again why is that going to get up- updated so going to be interesting so we think laptops will probably happen at some point but a fairly minor and b possibly not at wwdc but at the moment nobody knows because apple's so secretive
0: yeah, I go with that. So the things that will happen are updated macOS, watchOS, and iPadOS and, and iOS. So coming to watchOS first, the the leak this year, or the rumor this year from, from Mark Gurman, is that watchOS 10 is going to be a major interface update on in what's come before. And there's not much more details Not that. It's going to be a major interface update. But I say, yay, I could do with an entirely new interface for the watch.
1: I think this makes sense because... How their watch was originally designed, we we use it differently. And they have made major changes. But I think now all the screens are definitely bigger. You know, the smaller screen isn't as small as what it once was. It's not 38 mil anymore. It's 40 mil. So I think this is the right thing to do. I'd love to see what they do with it. It would be nice to have WatchOS have its iOS 7 moment where everything's different. And it's like having a new watch, in essence. But actually, it's just a free software update that you get overnight Um, And it'll be really interesting to see where they go with it, because certainly having the Ultra, there is a lot more screen real estate available and it could use it a lot more for notifications. We could have some more densely populated content on the screens. I think this would be really good. And actually some of the things they've done, like the honeycomb design for the home screen, it's never really worked. It's always been a nightmare trying to navigate your app. So I just use the A to Z list. But it'd be interesting to see, actually, what do they do now? And we've got bigger screens. Everybody knows how the watch works. We know what our primary use cases for the watches are. So I think it'd be great to see where they go with this. And I hope this doesn't leak. I hope they have a big reveal moment because, again, it'd be interesting to see their story on it. And actually, what does a major revision look like? And it is mad to think this will be the 10th watch OS update.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. This is not before time. I hope it comes true. And I'd like them to do a bit more with a computer on my wrist that knows where I am, what my heart rate is, what's going on with me, and not just show me more or less the same stuff that it has showed me since watchOS. To, or whatever it was when they sort of doubled down on a lot of the fitness stuff yeah it's great to close my rings things we've talked about before like it should give you an ease a day off it should recognize if you're not well you know all these sorts of things you know you've got a calendar appointment you're sat in a meeting so you can't just stand up apple watch things like that it knows an awful lot about me why isn't it clever so i think there's a lot of ground they could do with the apple watch they've got as always with apple men immense amazing hardware where the software is kind of letting it down. And we we look back on the past where rose-tinted glasses that it used to be more solid, more stable, and more world-changing. So we're not there. I think it, we've got as many errors and flaws in Apple software as ever. And what you said at the top of this section, that every year they push out another operating system update. You know, come hell or high water, they, they increment the number. And they've got to find a tent pole feature for it that sometimes that's justified we do want a big 10 pole feature and we do want to move the chairs around the titanic a little bit you know it's got to look different it wants to act different show some boldness show some courage i should be careful asking for that because we'll get another mac pro or system settings but the watch particularly the fundamentals are right you've got exercise you've got these things but make it smart it's a computer use the computing side of it
1: yeah and i also wonder could they make it more efficient on power with what they know now, 10 years down the line? You know, could they actually do some more things with optimizing it? Like you say, you could be, be a lot smarter, provide me a better interface. You know loads more now than when you first came up with this. You've got all this data about how people use their devices. Surely that will influence some decisions and take the opportunity to get rid of some things that haven't worked or something that you baked in ages ago.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you. So moving on, iOS 16, iPadOS 17, what do you think? Do you think just increment or do we want something a bit more revolutionary?
1: I'm hoping it's just an increment because I think they keep keep changing enough. So they're testing iOS 16.6, which should probably be a minor last version of iOS 16 before the summer. iOS 17 will come out in June as a beta and then to everybody in September. I'm hoping, so I've read a bit more about them, hopefully do a bit more with Dynamic Island. So it sounds like Dynamic Island is going to come everywhere. So that's where you get the the black lozenge around the camera and the face ID sensors. So hopefully they're going to move Siri into it. It does kind of make sense, actually, if all phones are going to have this, that actually more things gravitate towards it over time. It's a bit like when phones start to get rid of the home button, everything started moving into that new, new way, and then it becomes the norm. So I'm interested to see what they do on Dynamic Island. I'd like to see more Apple apps use it. Because I don't think, other than now playing, it's really been a big game changer. But it'd be nice to see other things go up there, like the battery health pops up in the Dynamic Island. And they've done some really nice things with it. But it'd be good to see, now everybody knows about it, what more could they do with it. So Siri being part of Dynamic Island makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I think so. There's there's just tweaks they need, like home app on, the, on, on iOS is rubbish. the control center we talked about last time needs an update you know if they just do these quality of life improvements where they just you know a nip here a tuck there i thought about the functionality of that they don't need to do an ios 7 sort of style rebrand of ios or ipad os they can bring widgets to the ipad there's lots of quick wins for them that they could do at this point they don't need to go nuts they just need to support whatever the reality os widgets are in here and just do some quality of life stuff that's it i'll be
1: happy with that That's the best thing they can do. I think is ideally this would be iOS 16.7 and not a big, big update. And then the other point we've got in here is just about app side loading. So I think they're trying to hopefully piece some of the regulations that are coming. And so this is where you could install apps that aren't off the app store. We don't know what that looks like yet. Are they going to allow multiple app stores? You know, like, will you be able to get an Xbox app store in here or a steam app store? We don't know, or are they going to allow you even just install your own apps like you can on your Mac? where they have Gatekeeper and they have some mechanisms to to control it. So it'd be good to see that come over to the iPhone understand what that looks like. So I think it's going to be quite an interesting year.
0: I hope so. We'll keep our eye on this space. If more rumours drop, we'll obviously talk about it in the news and rumours section. But we'll have to do our predictions maybe in the week before. Based on all the rumours we've seen so far, we'll pick our three most likely things or something like that to happen. Yeah.
1: We're only about four or five shows from that. It's coming around super quick. But Apple's been quiet in the last few weeks, so it's going to be interesting to see what we've got coming out this year let's see what we've got
0: i think that'll do us for the main show i've got an app of the week this week i hope it's not an app i've talked about before i've got some doubt in my mind but i've been using it a little bit this week my father bought a new laptop when he was down in this part of the world i convinced him to buy an m1 macbook air not an m2 one i got a junior discount on it as well and while i was copying things back and forth to and fro from his 2014 macbook pro with very slow USB, very slow networking, very slow everything, I needed an app to keep them both awake. And this is one I've used all the time. It's one of the first things I install when I put uh, any software on my Mac. It's called Amphetamine. And all all it does is it makes use of an underlying thing you can actually fire off in the terminal called Caffeine. So caffeine is a stimulant, keeps you awake. And amphetamine is an even more pronounced stimulant that, well, has unfortunate side effects, but definitely keeps you awake. Amphetamine is caffeine on steroids, effectively. There's a, another joke in there for those that are paying attention, where you get a little widget up in your taskbar where you can click on a thing and say, keep awake while this file is downloading or until it finishes or for an hour or for two days or indefinitely. And it just does it. It's free. It's a great little app. I'd recommend anybody who's got a Mac and wants to keep the screen on because they don't want the computer to go to sleep or they're downloading something and they're worried about something going off. This gives you a lot of control over it with Amphesiman. Check it out.
1: Uh, I've never heard of it. It actually looks kind of cool. I and mean, like you can pick the app. Like you say, you can say, don't close while this app is running and things. It looks a nice interface for something that, like you say, you can run by the terminal. So uh, yeah, okay. I might give that a go.
0: Give it a go. You got a thing of the
1: week? I do have a thing of the week, and I was thinking about this. Mine is just very simply my AirPods Max. They are two and a half years old. Fantastic. Apple I haven't updated them since they've come out. And I'm off to London tomorrow. and I thought, you know, what, I'm going to treat myself by taking my AirPods Max with me, rather than my in-ear ones. I'm going to take my full-on big ones to sit on the train for a couple of hours tomorrow. And they're fantastic. The quality is amazing. The only bug bit is they just don't fold up. If they folded up better... I would probably take them with me more frequently. It's just they, they cost so much bag space in essence. But I know I'm going to enjoy myself tomorrow and take them with me to listen to some music and podcasts on the train.
0: Fair enough. They're good headphones. I see them around on increasing numbers of people, but I'm not going to get them myself because I'm not carrying something that shape and size around. I like my fold-up Sonys and I like my AirPods Pro. So I'm glad you like them. I'm sure they're a world better audio than what I'm used to, but the lack of folding is a deal breaker for me.
1: They're probably not any better audio they just it's just the airpods integration with with all your apple products that's what i love about them and they are super comfy anyway that's enough for today i think would would definitely recommend Airbod maxes but they've never dropped in price by the way just thought i'd get that in there there's still 500 pounds which is a lot of money anyway if anyone would like to get in contact you can reach out to us on mastodon rod is at g5 maniac at mastodon.scot I am at underscore CJP at mastern.social and you can email us at wake from sleep at protonmail.com Good show. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob.